Welcome to Capital Class. I'm Adam Geary. We founded Capital Class to share candid conversations with market-leading businesses while humanizing the journey of constructing an enterprise. An unlikely outcome of the ongoing pandemic is the rise of the global edtech ecosystem. For investors, educators, and entrepreneurs, this little-known marketplace is a modern-day Rubik's Cube of information, quality, and veracity. Globally, education solution providers have vigorously worked to bridge the growing gap in education outcomes, making their company promises more important than ever. In today's class, we ask the question, how does a company prove its education outcomes in a marketplace filled with big promises? What are the emerging trends in the global classroom? And what's the story with the national finished drink, the long drink? To answer these questions, we are joined by Ali Vallo. Ali is an educator turned entrepreneur, rapidly accelerating the global edtech ecosystem with his work for the Education Alliance Finland. Ali's experience of building an enterprise, complete with sleeping on bathroom floors while scaling his business, is worthy of a listen. We pose these questions and many more in today's episode of Capital Class. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining Capital Class. Today we're joined by Ali Vallo, founder and CEO of the Education Alliance Finland. Ali, thanks for joining the show. Hi, Adam. Thanks for the for the invitation. Pleasure to be here. Ali, huge fan, uh, as I've mentioned to you before our show about Finland. I uh, traveled there with my wife. I, I, I love the culture, love the people, love the long drink, love the bathhouses. Uh, but tell me a little bit about... Not just Finland, but Education Alliance Finland. How'd you start it? Why'd you start it? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I was thinking that you asked me to tell more about the, the long drink, but uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> we, we can go, go, back, go back to that later on. Uh, well, Education Alliance Finland, uh, we started it uh, after uh, the founders, including me. We have been working as as teachers. And when working as a teacher, you uh, nowadays you get offered very many different types of ethics solutions. And as a teacher, you might feel a bit overwhelmed by, by the offering that is available out there. And not all the solutions are, are of high quality. Um, only maybe maybe about five, ten years ago, it, it worked in a way that when you worked in a school as a teacher, pretty much all the learning materials that you, you, you were using were provided by the local educational publishers. Uh, but nowadays, basically anybody can create their own learning application, learning game, learning tool, and offer it to the schools. And it leads to a situation that you have a great variety and, and great innovations out there. But as a teacher, it's it's hard to figure out that what are the good ones, what are the bad ones, what what are the ones that I should be using. So we we thought uh, me and me and my co-founders we started thinking that there should be a way to validate uh, what are those pedagogically valid learning solutions that could be could be um, suggested for teachers globally to be used in the in the classrooms and, and with learners. And we hired a few university researchers in 2017, uh, developed a science-based method to validate the pedagogical quality of learning solutions and and that's what we've been doing now for the past few years. We are granting quality certificates to, to edtech products. So said differently, you are the consumer reports for education companies helping teachers to understand that what this company says it does, it actually can do. And kind of also making sure that the products that touch students 
are impacting students. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, these are these are professional tools that the teachers are using, and and when they're using those tools with with students and and young children, it's important that somebody uh, validates their their quality. You don't want to start using an, an edtech tool and use it for 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 about a semester, and then only after that realize that no, this is not an effective tool. It's not even pedagogically valid. So there's and there's plethora of research in the field of or, or in the area of education, educational research that says that what are those elements that a positive, effective learning experience consists of, and and our our method is is based upon an idea that we can compare the design of a learning solution against learning science principles and that way validate their their quality. Talk to me about. Clients who've used you, right? So companies who've come, been validated. What is their experience? What is the uh, impact on their business about working with Education Alliance Finland? Uh, it it uh, differs a bit. Uh, we have earlier stage companies who are seeking to get uh, feedback about their their concept and and their design ideas. Uh, so so there are some companies that mainly come to us because they need the feedback from teachers and, and, and using this scientifically backed method to get, get valid feedback. And then there are companies uh, who are, for example, uh, raising investments, talking to investors, uh, and maybe some, some investors have asked them that, have, have you done any case studies, efficacy research, impact evaluations? And, and it seems to me that uh, nowadays, if you are an ed tech company and you want to do some sort of an impact evaluation um, or, or do this kind of quality verification activity, uh, we are one of the first points of contact that they that they reach out to. So sometimes very specific needs. Um, we we aim to help companies with two different ways: giving feedback uh, to improve the quality of the product, and then also also helping them with marketing and sales with the certificates. One of the things I've noticed in the past five years, in 2000 and let's say 16, 17, we had very little conversation with venture capital, private equity. Um, the investments they were making were for-profit, some, some teacher training work, et cetera. But for the most part, this area of investment was pretty limited. From March of 2020 to now, Education has absolutely exploded both in interest, focus, appreciation, but maybe most noticeably for both of our companies, investment. Are you seeing a larger uptick of investors coming to you or companies that are going out for investment right now and using you to make that possible? Um, yeah, yeah. There are some, well, uh, those EdTech, uh, th those investors that are mainly focusing on EdTech or purely focusing on EdTech, I think that they are really good in, in evaluating the, the, the sort of the potential impact of, of different products and understanding that the product and the, and the product market fit really well by themselves because they normally they have people with, with background in education in their team uh, doing the due diligence and, and evaluating the, the different investment opportunities. But then there are these uh, 
generalist investor sure. uh, VC funds that don't necessarily have background in education. Maybe they don't understand that the sort of the pedagogical principles and so on. So especially those investors have have started to to reach out to us asking asking that hey, as part of our DD process, could you evaluate these few few different products so that we we understand through reading your reports that what's the what's the pedagogical impact of these different options. That's fascinating. I mean, you're now being sought out by the investors themselves, not just the companies looking for the third-party validation. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is something that we didn't really... Of course, in the beginning, we, we always thought that there, there might be a possibility that investors would benefit from our service as we well. We thought the same thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 now, now when... Maybe it's because... More generalist investors are now investing in edtech, edtech as well. It's it's like you like you described. I think that those uh, uh, industry agnostic investors they 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 maybe didn't see edtech field of edtech or or edtech industry as so so attractive mm. before the before the pandemic. But now now with the with the COVID, uh, there there have been plenty of companies that have reached like hundreds of percent of of growth or overnight. And huge growth figures in general, so so maybe it's more more attractive to them, but they need that 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 special expertise in in education. I have a different to make perspective, Ali. I wonder if it's true internationally. In America, I'm totally agree. The generalist investor woke up and said to their maybe LPs or GPs, "We need investment in education, right?" And so they start wading into this space, and it. I would make the case it's one of the few sectors that everybody has had experience in because they went to school and they carry forward whatever perspective they had when they were in school or their kids or, or their grandkids or right? and they apply that methodology of, well, when I was in school 20, 30, 50 years ago, we did it this way. So this application this investment must be uh, must be worthy, and I, I would love your perspective from an international lens. In my view, the investors that have done the best in the education space are incredibly patient. The sales cycles don't follow regular fiscal year calendars. The sales systems. They're integrated. It involves a lot of high touch. You could do everything right, and then. The buyer leaves, right? Superintendent leaves, CAO leaves. Uh, the size of the deals, they can be very, very small and then seven, eight-figure deals. I mean, it's just, it's such a broad market. Are you seeing internationally, one, I, obviously you said you're seeing more interest, but is are, are you seeing that sort of trend internationally that there's a lot of folks wading into this space, but they may not fully understand what it will take to survive the investment and, and frankly, exit the investment. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that this is a this is a channel uh, challenge for for generalist VC. I don't really know the the VC world that well. That I, I could say that what are the the sort of the principles and strategies that that they have if they if a generalist VC invests in in it. But I but I think that it's exactly like you described it that. It might take uh, for for an ethic company to enter a new market. It might take five years, six years, seven years, ten years to to make a breakthrough. 
even though the product might be might be really really good and loved by the by the end users from the from the day one almost but it just takes time but once you're in it's more sticky market that I, I, at least I would I would imagine that it's much more sticky market if you're for example targeting to the school sector and you make it there uh, it, they don't they don't I know it personally when I used to work as a, as a teacher I didn't want to if, if I had a tool that I had sort of practice to use and I had my students who knew how to use it and and even though the tool might not be the, the best tool in the world but because we already knew how to use it I didn't want to, to change it I didn't want to reapply for for a budget to to a new oh, tool yeah. that would replace the old so it's a, it's a sticky it's a sticky market and the customers are really loyal that that's my that's my feeling uh, I don't really know if investors understand this and how do they how do they take this aspect of of the market stickiness but the low sales cycles in consideration when they make investment decisions hard to say I agree and I find myself uh bringing certain levels of candor to these conversations around I mean, there are clients, I'll even throw one out and hopefully he listens to this, uh, friend and client, Jamie Rosenberg with class wallet, you know, he's 10 years in, right? He's had it at this point. They are, I hear more about his company externally than from him and he's a client, but people don't know his story. They don't know the five years of telling everybody this is going to make sense telling investors, be patient, right? Telling the market, this is good. It's essentially Venmo for schools, right? That this is going to make sense. And it, what it honestly took, it took kind of continuity on his point on on from, from his company can staying the course and frankly, COVID COVID made people rethink, wow, can we, maybe we shouldn't do everything on paper. And now I watch where he's heading. And I see investors going, we're looking for the next that. You got to look in the rear view to understand that that was a long journey, right? Fraught with, with many pitfalls. And I think you as an entrepreneur understand this well. I read a story about you. Let me tell you a story about you. And we share this uh, in, in this way that in the early days of Education Alliance Finland, it was so bootstrapped that you arrived to a city, you'll have to tell us the story, and didn't have enough money to actually get a hotel room. And it felt it was best to keep that money in the company account. And you slept on the floor in a bathroom. <laughs> and look, I, I mean it in a way of, uh, I actually mean it in admiration, right? There's, there's the grit. You know, there were probably moments along the journey for education Alliance where you weren't sure. And so if you can, right, it's kind of a long lead in here. Tell us about that, right? Give me a little bit of the story about the journey that you've been through, right? From leaving a classroom and now frankly being a CEO. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's funny that you brought, you brought it up. I, I think I, I mentioned that in, in some article uh, where, where it was asked uh, how's the journey of, of EAF and uh, what, what are some of the challenges that we have faced on the way. And, and of course, we, I suppose it's more or less the same for all at the companies at some, or even all, all startups yeah. at some point of their, their journey that they, they, they don't have much money. But still, you need to go to different conferences. You need to go to events and meet meet with people face to face, and that's that's very expensive. 
there's a there's a big education event in Dubai called Guess uh, Guess Guess uh, Education Exhibition, and you you know Dubai is not the cheapest it's not the cheapest city in the world. You book a hotel there; it's it's probably relatively fancy hotel, but but you end up paying like 150 euros per night. And the the tourist flight uh, from Finland from Helsinki to Dubai it leaves around maybe eight o'clock in the evening, and you arrive to Dubai maybe maybe two two a.m. or or two a.m. ish, and then it takes maybe maybe an hour or two to get to the hotel from the airport. So me and my colleague we started thinking that. We would save 300 euros if we don't book the the hotel for the first night. We're we're gonna be at the hotel about maybe 4 a.m. Do we need a whole room or ch- shall we just stay in the lobby for for a few hours before they give us the room? Uh, we we ended up staying in the lobby, and <laughs> my my colleague she fell asleep in the <laughs> on the sofa in the in the lobby. I'm thinking that oh my, I can't keep my eyes open. I, I need to go for a walk. I, I I go to the to the bathroom. It's very fancy, very very fancy <laughs> hotel. So the, so the bathroom, <laughs> exactly, and the, and a very high end bathroom, huge huge uh, bathroom. Nobody there. Super clean. I thought that maybe maybe I lay on the ground for a while. <laughs> Then I, I fell asleep for a while. But but yeah, that's that's how it goes. Look, I I think a lot of that is lost. You know, Jamie's story, your story. The word that I, comes to mind as I hear this is kind of this persistence, right? The the ability to wake up in the morning, even head headlong into doubt, you know, headlong into not not seeing uh, the fruits of the labor, but know that there is there is an end in mind, right? There there will be an outcome worthy of the journey. Yeah, and I and I personally, I I've tried to take this from the from the beginning that this is a this is a learning journey, and and we do this for mainly for the journey, not even for the for the outcome that we we hopefully or or, or po- possibly someday will will reach. Uh, maybe this is sort of uh, it's it's part of the concept even because when we started EAF, one of our goals was that we want to learn about the edtech market this was in this was in 2015 when we first got the idea of starting eaf and and it was it was the time when there when more and more edtech products started entering the market and we saw that the space really interesting besides addressing the certain problem that we wanted to solve we also wanted to learn what's happening in the in the edtech field what are all these products we wanted to know who are making these products and and what's happening in the in the edtech scene and Maybe we we didn't do it on purpose or or with that that kind of that kind of maybe we had it at the back of our mind, but uh, partly unconsciously we came up with a concept that put us in a position that we get to work with hundreds of different tech companies, and at the same time that's a that's a journey that that has provided us a lot. So we we and and even with each evaluation when we work with the new new company or new product. We we get to know the people behind the product quite well, so and that that gives us a lot. That that's probably the best part of my my job, and I I really uh, appreciate that and and feel grateful that I get to speak with people from all around the world on daily basis. They they all have great ideas how to improve education, and and it's a it's a great learning opportunity. When you think about on a global perspective, and what part of the world that are people not talking about? That has just explosion of education and tech right now. 
uh, oh, what, do, you, do you mean like like what what part of the world there are the most like emerging which is industries? The you know, we had in- a we had Alex Lazaro on who wrote a book really around the emergence of entrepreneurs around the world, right? And how these entrepreneurs, uh, which he has titled as camels, right, that they can kind of withstand any sort of environment. Uh, and he was highlighting that there is a lot of entrepreneurial activity that happens outside the United States, but we're so in, we're very insulated and focused here. I'm, I'm interested in, from your perspective, what parts of the world are creating kind of world winning ed tech? Well, with, with ed tech, I, I think that Israel is definitely wow. one. The, the, we, we see, we, even though it's a small country, uh, they have good ecosystem for, for entrepreneurs and, and, and startups in general. And I, I think that they they have a special focus on, on edtech. They have really good incubator system called Mindset. Their uh, research-based programs where, where companies can validate their, their, the design of their, their uh, edtech products as well. I think that's important. We, we've seen quite a few nice at the companies like code monkey for example coming from from israel uh singapore is another one uh i i think that the the southeast asian market is now uh, it's an interesting market for for at the companies globally because it's 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 a big market uh there, there are the the use of technology is is uh, make they are sort of on on their way of starting to use more ethic solutions in schools. So the competition is not that tough yet, and that shows definitely that that from Singapore we get we get lots of products from Singapore to to evaluate. Uh, they appreciate the the sort of the the, the research based uh, approach when developing ethic solutions, and I think that. In Singapore, there is a there 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 are good developers as well. So there, the tech talent is there as well, and it's an attractive city uh, from from for for all Asian Asian countries or or people from different countries. They, I, I think that they they appreciate the the way of living in in Singapore, and so it's easy to is to attract talent to move there and and build great businesses. It's in the lines of the trend, right? So. Let's just let's just agree that a lot has happened over COVID, right? I don't, I don't think anyone needs to kind of talk more about the impacts of COVID on the economy and the market. But I think in education, I have made the case that in some ways it's accelerated maybe the trends that we've always talked about. And in America, we see an almost embrace of some of the of some of the legacy items that I should say to be very clear online learning was kind of niche. Now it's become much more mainstream, right? We talked about class wallet, right? Schools used to remedy and uh, rectify financial payments, right? All on paper. Now that's gone. I mean, it's trending and changing. In Europe, what what are the big trends that you're seeing um, as far as for students, right? What are the needs that schools are looking for? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um, well, first of all, I, I I sort of try to organize in in my mind. I, I every day I try to organize the the ethic market. What what are the trends? What's happening? What kind of products are out there? And I in a, in a in a simple to describe it in a, in the simplest possible way, I see that there are only two different types of products. There are products that save time 
for learners or, or, or well, save time for learners or educators. And uh, then there are products that improve the engagement of the learners. And maybe there is another uh, third category that do both both of these things. And those those um, applications like Class Wallet, for example, it, it improves the communication. It improves the the, the administrational uh, things that must get done, and it it uses technology to 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 save time and, and make it more effective. Uh, when it comes to different trends, I I think that this kind of applications that that are able to save teachers time and and decrease the workload of of educators. That is definitely one sort of a big trend. Of course, it includes very many different types of products. But I think that if you're an tech company, you walk to a school and and you say that my product makes the teachers' lives and, and work easier. It's a good value proposition. Then if you can <laughs> if you can then show how it does it, even better. But I but I think that this is something that because the for example in Finland the teachers are so overly stressed. There's too much work for them to do. So if you come up with an innovation that helps with that, it's definitely a, a great value proposition. Uh, then on the on the learning engagement side, uh, I, I, there are there, I, I think that there are plenty of opportunities there. Um, of course, the the adaptivity is is one big thing now that that a, the use of AI as part of edtech is is improving. Uh, still, I don't see. I might be wrong. I'm I'm not a, a super AI expert, or or how how different tech companies are using AI. But what we see so far is a like a quite general recommendation systems that where AI helps to to build adaptive learning experiences. But I think that there is a there is a sort of bigger steps to be taken in that in that area. Uh, also, social emotional learning as a as a sort of content area i i think that that's really interesting and whereas coding was really hot topic uh maybe 10 years ago and those companies who had a great solution to teach coding 10 years ago they are now really big maybe those companies that have a great solution now teaching social emotional uh skills and focusing on social emotional learning those might be the the next big, big success success uh Type of, type of I want to pocket here because you have a lot. You've just said it's really valuable. Definitely experienced the coding trend with you, which was that was the thing, right? Everyone talked about it. Um, you know, students should know coding, computer science, computational thinking, and I, I think at one point that was a frontier. I think it's much more accepted now, right? It's like, oh, of course. Um, Social emotional learning. I almost we're starting to see that as starting to almost wane a little bit here in this market where it was non-existent. I should say limited in its focus for years. It's been around for for, for a long time. Leader and me, I think, is twenty plenty plus years old, maybe thirty years old, um, but much more focused now. And I think so many markets, so many people rushed into this space. I think the buyer, the teacher, the district, uh, it's hard to evaluate what's, what is SEL versus SEL. And I wonder, is, is that kind of where you sit? Do you sit in that where you can actually help 
call balls and strikes in a, an American baseball term, right? Kind of help districts understand which of these two products, even though they both have the same wrapper, which actually does what they say they will do? Uh, for, yeah, yeah, in, in a way, we, we are there. Uh, one part of our evaluation uh, is mapping the solution against uh, relevant reference curriculum. And I, and I would say that this is a good starting point for, for let's say, district decision makers or, or any teacher who is looking for, let's say, social-emotional learning solution to take a, take their own curriculum or take, for example, the, the CASEL, the CASEL yeah, sure. curriculum yeah. from, from the states and, and map the solution against that. Try to understand that what are some of the social-emotional learning goals that, that my students could achieve through the use of this solution. And if, if it's clear to them that, okay, this, is, this aligns with CASEL, for example, or this aligns with my with Finnish curriculum, whatever curriculum you're supposed to follow, I think it's a good validation that, that, that this, is a, this is a relevant tool for me. But at the same time, it might, you might, through that process, you might figure out that you take, the, you take the tool, you start going through the content it provides, you start comparing it against the curriculum goals that you're supposed to you're supposed to have your students achieve. You realize that now it doesn't really help my students to achieve these goals, and that's a that's a definite no. Then this is not the right tool for you. But this is this is a sort of a good practice to follow if you're buying an edtech solution and you wonder if it's valuable to align or not. it to the curricula or to align it to the goals as stated at the district or at the school itself. Yeah, to to align it with the with the goals, uh, the goals that your students are supposed to. I want to go back for a moment on teacher. So I was a teacher, you were a teacher. Now we're both entrepreneurs, and you've made you made a sentence earlier. You said uh, kind of this thing that there's two products, right? One that improves teachers' time, and I want to spend some time on this. Uh, there's. I almost hear this pitch ad nauseum, right? We're going to save time. There's only 24 hours in the day. Teacher drives to school. They have a lunch period, right? There's an amount of time that they have when they're with their students. That's fixed depending on the grade level, how many minutes uh, per session. Like, is that, is that pitch almost over, right? Is it, is the, is the time saver, is, is that really still attracting people in the market? I almost feel like it's white noise when it's, when it's said to a district saying, we'll save you time. And I, I would love your perspective. Like, is that actually resonating with district and state buyers? Well, hard, hard to say. I, I think uh, it's about, well, saving time or reducing the, reducing the workload might be, might be more relevant way, way to describe it. Um, I think if you can, uh, that that alone is probably not enough. You you need to you need to demonstrate it in a very very concrete manner that how do you save time, how do you reduce the teacher's workload? And if you can if you can, for example, show that you address a problem when it comes to, for example, teachers' time spendage uh, correcting essays or correcting exams, and you can say that with that with the use of our solution you can you can decrease the workload in, in assessment, for example. Uh, I think that this kind of concrete approach, if if it works, it it, it works, and it probably is is attractive. Uh, of course, 
if it's if it's uh, if it's subjective, if it's if you can't show any evidence that it actually does save time or it actually does reduce the workload, then of course I I don't I don't think that uh, you know, the the sort of the punchline of saving time or reducing workload is. I'm is watching this, well. this from the lens of an edu- former educator and at 130 students. Um, ran the quizzes, read the assignments, right? I mean, this was just part of the job. I definitely took it home. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I just wonder if, like, I, I don't remember being so inundated with work that I had no time. And I hear this pitch often around, it's about time saving, right? We're helping teachers. And I've, I have, wondered aloud and I'm asking you, it sounds like your answer is without validation of efficacy, time alone doesn't sound like that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and I think that this is the, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm looking at the, at this through the EAF lenses, but, but I think that the, the same way as in, as in medical industry, you don't, you don't buy a certain, certain pill or medication unless you know that it, it, it's proven to work. And the same way, I, I think that people start to have that attitude uh, or perception towards ethic as well, that I don't buy this unless you show me evidence that it actually works. And, and of course, uh, in medical industries, it's much easier to, to show that it's expensive, but then again, it's, it's possible to, to show... Uh, evidence of the of the efficacy of a, of a certain medicine uh, through cl- clinical testing. With education, of course, there are very many different variables. You can't replicate the, the same uh, teaching situation twice, so that you could compare uh, with the treatment and without the treatment, where where the ethic tool was used and ethic tool was not used. That how how do you would how would you replicate these two situations uh, identically? So it's it's never the same way as as it could be in the in the medical industry, for example. Uh, but still, it is possible, and I and I think there's a there's a good point from from Rich Capital, one of the big ethic investors, that they appreciate when companies says that they are building this efficacy portfolio. So efficacy portfolio is a is a is a little bit different thing than doing one one two year empirical research project. And show efficacy through that. Efficacy portfolio means that you do different types of activities, and you 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 grow the portfolio of those uh, efficacy measurement and impact evaluation activities that you have been doing along the way. And I and I think that this is something that could I, I would I would see it as a, as an upcoming trend uh, among the companies to do activities like this. And this way, show that and prove the efficacy of the of the that solution. is fascinating. I've never heard of this, and we know Reach Capital, but it's it's almost as if they're recognizing the need for longitudinal analysis of their own abilities, not just a single one-off study or single one-off qualitative, which is what I hear the most of. I hear a lot of teachers love it. Districts tell us we're great. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, our job at this point with the size what we've reached is we have to be third-party validators, right? We can't take anybody who just wants to be on the platform. It's, 
it goes against the business model, right? The model in our business is founded on finding the best in class, regardless of their ability necessarily to on the financial side, right? It's around who do we think makes the most sense for the industry and how do we get them into the market? And I think that's, uh, that's, that's a big piece of where, where I see things are moving in the future right now, right? It's, how do districts, I think, are becoming more discerning. School districts, us teachers are becoming more discerning. And the fact that even EAF exists almost proves that point, right? That it's not enough to say that you're an ed tech. People want to know, are you real? Can you do what you say you're going to do? So that's a, really a fascinating piece of, of your work. Let me ask you this from a different lens. American companies that want to do business in Europe. Firstly, what is that experience like? Do you know of a success story where company has, is, is there a, is there an interest by European education systems to be using products built in American markets? Yeah, there, I, I, I think so. Uh, and, and there must be, must be plenty of success stories as, as well. Uh, Padlet, for example, is a very popular tool uh, in, in Finnish schools, in European schools in, in general. Um, I think that um, what we see commonly happening is that American companies coming to Europe and they first go to the to the UK market because of the because of the language. And the UK market is very, very competitive. When it comes to to tech, because many European comp- companies uh, also want to go, if they go abroad, they first go to U- UK because of the language. Uh, so that's highly competitive. Um, but but at the same time, I think that there might be better opportunities now. More companies are coming to to the Nordic region as well. Um, I don't know if Sfero is maybe Sfero is from from the US originally. They are quite active in in Finland. Um, uh, other other companies as well. Um, well, I don't know. Of course, these these coding solutions like Code Sparks. I, I think that's that's pretty pretty popular in in European schools in in Finnish schools as well. Uh, so so definitely, I I think that and and even the language even. I I don't think it's really a problem. Uh, for example, in in the Nordics, um, I think it's. It's possible that you you have your product to become popular among teachers, uh, even though it would work only in English in the beginning. And if you see that the number of users is is growing, uh, you can you can then tra- translate it to the to the Nordic languages. Uh, and I, I think that this is this is probably something that more and more US companies are starting to do so now as, as maybe well. Skip uh, the UK. But look at markets that are often overlooked, like what you're suggesting the the Nordic countries as a way to gain market entry into Europe. And when a company goes to Europe or let's just, let's use Finland. Is this a district sale? Like are you, or is it a region sale, a state sale? How do, how do, how do those products get procured in your country? Uh, It depends on the city in Finland. All the schools are are public, uh, but different cities have different procurement processes let's say it that way for example in helsinki it's a it's a centralized purchase 
So you need to sell if you want your your application to be to be used in in schools of Helsinki, you need to sell it to the to the Department of Education and then make make an offer. And then if they if they like the product, if they if they want it, and if the teachers want it, uh, they they buy it and then it's spread to to all schools in Helsinki or or certain certain schools that depending on the agreement. Um, whereas the the second biggest city in Finland next to Helsinki, there each school can independently decide that what applications they want to spend their budget on. So it depends on the on the city. Of course, in the longer term, I suppose all that the companies want to end up in a situation that they make a deal with the city. It's it's more efficient. It's it's better for the for the business as well. Um, there are pretty good programs. For example, now in Helsinki. We have this uh, newly launched uh, Helsinki Education Hub, and one of the one of the goals of the Education Hub here is that uh, they can work as a as a as a stepping stone for the companies to have their products um, sold and, and and used in in schools in Helsinki. So they they work as a first point of contact that the companies can reach out to asking if they could do piloting in, in, in schools in Helsinki and, and through pilots get their get their product out there. Uh, so so this kind of this kind of programs we, we have here and I think it's really important that we have those because Finland is a small market. It's probably not that attractive being so small market but still have, have our own language. Uh, so it's not that attractive probably for international tech companies. But at the same time it's really important for our students that they don't miss out the best innovations that are out there. So it's important that the government and the and the city officials are supporting uh, good tech innovations to enter the market and lower the barrier wow. to enter. Ali, this has been incredible. Uh, I really appreciate you kind of walking us through uh, the incredible work that you do. Let me get you out of here on this. We ask every guest the same thing. Uh, give me just, you know, a few quick predictions. Firstly, Big education companies in Europe that have inter- that have kind of inspired you, companies that you think are incredible. Give me two. Uh, well, one is from France called Open Classrooms. Uh, it's for for vocational education. So they, if you want to study to become a UX designer, for example, or developer, you can apply to Open Classrooms uh, program. You can learn through real projects that you do for real companies, and then get get your certificate that you you study uh, to be, be a programmer, for example. I think the idea idea is really good, and, and I've heard that it works really well. Um, another one is School Day, uh, coming from Helsinki. <laughs> a little so local a, plug. I, yeah, raising the the Finnish flag here. Uh, but uh, it's 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 really a great company. We we just recently evaluated it as well. Uh, they have this uh, well-being tool for schools, so that a teacher can use their platform to find out how the students are doing, how they are getting along with their friends, how's their their well-being, do they feel good coming to school, and so on. And they they collect. You can collect a lot of data from your students as a principal or as a teacher. And with that data, you are always updated on your students' well-being. And I think that that's really important for from the learning efficacy point Incredible. of view as well. Well, I'll definitely keep a lookout for both of those. Uh, Ali, we have to ask, I mean, I have to at least tease it out here. I threw it out in the beginning, 
but you got to tell our listeners, what is the long drink? <laughs> yeah. Uh, long drink is a, is a very popular drink uh, in Finland. Uh, among Finnish people, it's called grey because of the color of the drink. And it was invented for the Olympics in the 1952 because that was the first time in the country's history where we were expecting to have lots of uh, visitors, tourists in, in Helsinki and in, in Finland. So they were afraid that they, the bars will r- run out of drinks and they invented long drink, a ready-made cocktail. Very Incredible. Cool. I'll attest to that. I, although I will tell you, they go down a little little bit smoother in a uh, Finnish bathhouse. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Everything goes down smoother in, in, in a, in some. Ali, thanks so much. If people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach you? LinkedIn. Uh, that's my that's my main. I, I've tried to follow this, this piece of advice from some some supermarketer that focus on one platform and, and try to become really good in using that one platform. And, and LinkedIn I can attest, is, you're definitely is that a platform power user. for me. Ali, thank you so much for joining the show. It was absolutely incredible having you on Capital Class. I look forward to uh, staying in touch. Thank you for being an amazing member of the EdTech community. Thank you for joining today's class with Ali Vallo. Ali's Enterprise was founded to ensure education remains first in the EdTech community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an idea for our next class, please email me directly at adam.geary at gmail.com. You've been listening to Capital Class, a venture with the Strategist Podcast Network. Learn more at strategistgroup.com. I'm Adam Geary. Class is closed.